Chapter Seven of the Gray Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Gray Fairy Book, edited by Andrew Lang. Chapter Seven, Fortunatus and His Purse. Once upon a time, there lived in the city of Famagasta, in the island of Cyprus, a rich man called Theodorus. He ought to have been the happiest person in the whole world, as he had all he could wish for, and a wife and little son whom he loved dearly. But unluckily, after a short time, he always grew tired of everything, and had to seek new pleasures. When people are made like this, the end is generally the same, and before Fortunatus, for that was the boy's name, was ten years old, his father had spent all his money and had not a farthing left. But though Theodorus had been so foolish, he was not quite without sense, and set about getting work at once. His wife, too, instead of approaching him, sent away the servants and sold their fine horses, and did all the work of the house herself, even washing the clothes of her husband and child. Thus time passed, till Fortunatus was sixteen. One day, when they were sitting at supper, the boy said to Theodorus, Father, why do you look so sad? Tell me what is wrong, and perhaps I can help you. Ah, my son, I have reason enough to be sad. But for me, you would now have been enjoying every kind of pleasure, instead of being buried in this tiny house. Oh, do not let that trouble you, replied Fortunatus. It is time I made some money for myself. To be sure, I have never been taught any trade. Still, there must be something I can do. I will go and walk on the seashore and think about it. Very soon, sooner than he expected, a chance came and Fortunatus, like a wise boy, seized on it at once. The post offered him was that of page to the Earl of Flanders, and as the Earl's daughter was just going to be married, splendid festivities were held in her honor, and at some of the tilting matches Fortunatus was lucky enough to win the prize. These prizes, together with presents from the lords and ladies of the court, who liked him for his pleasant ways, made Fortunatus feel quite a rich man. But though his head was not turned by the notice taken of him, it excited the envy of some of the other pages about the court, and one of them, called Robert, invented a plot to move Fortunatus out of his way. So he told the young man that the earl had taken a dislike to him and meant to kill him. Fortunatus believed the story, and packing up his fine clothes and money, slipped away before dawn. He went to a great many big towns and lived well, and as he was generous, and not wiser than most youths of his age, he very soon found himself penniless. Like his father, he then began to think of work, and tramped half over Brittany in search of it. Nobody seemed to want him, and he wandered about from one place to another, till he found himself in a dense wood, without any paths, and not much light. Here he spent two whole days, with nothing to eat, and very little water to drink, going first in one direction, and then in another, but never being able to find his way out. During the first night he slept soundly, and was too tired to fear either man or beast, but when darkness came on for the second time, and growls were heard in the distance, he grew frightened, and looked about for a high tree out of reach of his enemies. Hardly had he settled himself comfortably in one of the forked branches, when a lion walked up to a spring that burst from a rock close to the tree, and crouching down, drank greedily. This was bad enough, but after all, lions do not climb trees and as long as Fortunatus stayed up on his perch, he was quite safe. But no sooner was the lion out of sight than his place was taken by a bear, and bears, as Fortunatus knew very well, are tree-climbers. 
his heart beat fast, and not without reason, for as the bear turned away he looked up and saw Fortunatus. Now in those days every young man carried a sword slung to his belt, and it was a fashion that came in very handily for Fortunatus. He drew his sword, and when the bear got within a yard of him he made a fierce lunge forward. The bear, wild with pain, tried to spring, but the bough he was standing on broke with his weight, and he fell heavily to the ground. Then Fortunatus descended from his tree, first taking good care to see no other wild animals were in sight, and killed him with a single blow. He was just thinking he would light a fire and make a hearty dinner off bear's flesh, which is not at all bad eating, when he beheld a beautiful lady standing by his side, leaning on a wheel, and her eyes hidden by a bandage. I am Dame Fortune, she said, and I have a gift for you. Shall it be wisdom, strength, long life, riches, health, or beauty? Think well, and tell me what you will have. But Fortunatus, who had proved the truth of the proverb that it's ill-thinking on an empty stomach, answered quickly, Good lady, let me have riches in such plenty that I may never again be as hungry as I am now. And the lady held out a purse, and told him he had only to put his hand into it, and he and his children would always find ten pieces of gold. But when they were dead, it would be a magic purse no longer. At this news, Fortunatus was beside himself with joy, and could hardly find words to thank the lady. But she told him that the best thing he could do was to find his way out of the wood, and before bidding him farewell, pointed out which path he should take. He walked along it as fast as his weakness would let him, until a welcome light at a little distance showed him that a house was near. It turned out to be an inn, but before entering, Fortunatus thought he had better make sure of the truth of what the lady had told him, and took out the purse and looked inside. Sure enough, there were the ten pieces of gold, shining brightly. Then Fortunatus walked boldly up to the inn, and ordered them to get ready a good supper at once, as he was very hungry, and to bring him the best wine in the house. And he seemed to care so little what he spent, that everybody thought he was a great lord, and vied with each other who should run quickest when he called. After a night passed in a soft bed, Fortunatus felt so much better that he asked the landlord if he could find him some men-servants, and tell them where any good horses were to be got. The next thing was to provide himself with smart clothes, and then to take a big house, where he could give great feasts to the nobles and beautiful ladies who lived in palaces round about. In this manner a whole year soon slipped away, and Fortunatus was so busy amusing himself that he never once remembered his parents, whom he had left behind in Cyprus. But though he was thoughtless, he was not bad-hearted. As soon as their existence crossed his mind, he set about making preparations to visit them. And as he was not fond of being alone, he looked round for someone older and wiser than himself to travel with him. It was not long before he had the good luck to come across an old man who had left his wife and children in a far country many years before, when he went out into the world to seek the fortune which he never found. He agreed to accompany Fortunatus back to Cyprus, but only on condition he should first be allowed to return for a few weeks to his own home, before venturing to set sail for an island so strange and distant. Fortunatus agreed to his proposal, and as he was always fond of anything new, said that he would go with him. The journey was long, and they had to cross many large rivers and climb over high mountains and find their way through thick woods, before they reached at length the old man's castle. His wife and children had almost given up hopes of seeing him again, and crowded eagerly round him. Indeed, it did not take Fortunatus five minutes to fall in love with the youngest daughter, the most beautiful creature in the whole world, 
whose name was Cassandra. Give her to me for my wife, he said to the old man, and let us all go together to Famagasta. So a ship was bought, big enough to hold Fortunatus, the old man and his wife, and their ten children, five of them sons and five daughters. And the day before they sailed, the wedding was celebrated with magnificent rejoicings, and everybody thought that Fortunatus must certainly be a prince in disguise. But when they reached Cyprus, he learned to his sorrow that both his father and mother were dead, and for some time he shut himself up in his house and would see nobody, full of shame at having forgotten them all these years. Then he begged that the old man and his wife would remain with him and take the place of his parents. For twelve years, Fortunatus and Cassandra and their two little boys lived happily in Famagosta. They had a beautiful house and everything they could possibly want, and when Cassandra's sisters married, the purse provided them each with a fortune. But at last, Fortunatus grew tired of staying at home and thought he should like to go out and see the world again. Cassandra shed many tears at first when he told her of his wishes, and he had a great deal of trouble to persuade her to give her consent. But on his promising to return at the end of two years, she agreed to let him go. Before he went away, he showed her three chests of gold, which stood in a room with an iron door and walls twelve feet thick. If anything should happen to me, he said, and I should never come back, keep one of the chests for yourself, and give the others to our two sons. Then he embraced them all, and took ship for Alexandria. The wind was fair, and in a few days they entered the harbor, where Fortunatus was informed by a man whom he met on landing, that if he wished to be well received in the town, he must begin by making a handsome present to the sultan. That is easily done, said Fortunatus, and went into a goldsmith's shop, where he bought a large gold cup, which cost five thousand pounds. This gift so pleased the sultan that he ordered a hundred casks of spices to be given to Fortunatus. Fortunatus put them on board his ship, and commanded the captain to return to Cyprus and deliver them to his wife, Cassandra. He next obtained an audience of the sultan, and begged permission to travel through the country, which the sultan readily gave him, adding some letters to the rulers of other lands, which Fortunatus might wish to visit. Filled with delight at feeling himself free to roam through the world once more, Fortunatus set out on his journey without losing a day. From court to court he went, astonishing everyone by the magnificence of his dress and the splendor of his presence. At length he grew as tired of wandering as he had been of staying at home, and returned to Alexandria, where he found the same ship that had brought him from Cyprus lying in the harbor. Of course, the first thing he did was to pay his respects to the sultan, who was eager to hear about his adventures. When Fortunatus had told them all, the sultan observed, Well, you have seen many wonderful things, but I have something to show you more wonderful still. And he led him into a room where precious stones lay heaped against the walls. Fortunatus's eyes were quite dazzled, but the sultan went on without pausing, and opened a door at the farther end. As far as Fortunatus could see, the cupboard was quite bare, except for a little red cap, such as soldiers wear in Turkey. Look at this, said the sultan. But there is nothing very valuable about it, answered Fortunatus. I've seen a dozen better caps than that this very day. Ah, said the sultan, you do not know what you are talking about. Whoever puts this cap on his head and wishes himself in any place will find himself there in a moment. But who made it? asked Fortunatus. That I cannot tell you, replied the sultan. Is it very heavy to wear? asked Fortunatus. No, quite light, replied the sultan. Just feel it. Fortunatus took the cap and put it on his head and then, without thinking, wished himself back in the ship that was starting for Famagasta. 
In a second he was standing at the prow while the anchor was being weighed. And while the sultan was repenting of his folly in allowing Fortunatus to try on the cap, the vessel was making fast for Cyprus. When it arrived, Fortunatus found his wife and children well, but the two old people were dead and buried. His sons had grown tall and strong, but unlike their father had no wish to see the world, and found their chief pleasure in hunting and tilting. In the main, Fortunatus was content to stay quietly at home, and if a restless fit did seize upon him, he was able to go away for a few hours without being missed, thanks to the cap, which he never sent back to the sultan. By and by he grew old, and feeling that he had not many days to live, he sent for his two sons, and showing them the purse and cap, he said to them, Never part with these precious possessions. They are worth more than all the gold and lands I leave behind me, but never tell their secret, even to your wife or dearest friend. That purse has served me well for forty years, and no one knows whence I got my riches. Then he died, and was buried by his wife Cassandra, and he was mourned in Famagosta for many years. End of chapter 7